0: Welcome, Travelers Blueprint Community. I'm Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the ambitious Bob Demena. Bob, take it from here.
1: Thank you, Elliot. So, hello, everyone. And before we get into the show today, Elliot and I wanted to take a moment to thank all of you listening right now. So we started this podcast in September 2018, and have had the opportunity to watch it grow over the past few months. We have done almost no advertising advertising so far, which means most of our growth has been from you sharing this with your friends and family. And we cannot thank you enough. In a world where the content is endless, it means a lot to us that you choose to spend your time listening to Elliot and I and our guests talk about travel. So our goal is to produce content that has practical benefits to your travels. And we would actually like to hear from you on what you find interesting about our show. That's why it would mean a lot to us if you reached out via email. Let us know where in the world you're from. Maybe give us some insight on who you are, why you love to travel, and if you want, share one of your own personal travel stories that we can then maybe share on our show. So if this sounds like something that you'd be interesting interested in, please send us an email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com. We are really looking forward to learning more about you, and thank you for listening.
0: So with that being said, we'd like to review... Sadie's uh review on iTunes and Sadie said that she I assume it's a girl I don't know it might be a guy but she said I highly recommend it to anyone who has traveled in the past or plans to in the future informative and entertaining and Sadie we really appreciate that review that means a lot to Bob and I
1: yes thank you thank you Sadie uh and so actually a word from our sponsors at this point
0: Are you tired of steaming milk being a barista Deferring on your student loans, do you wish you could beat Elon Musk to the moon? Look no further with Spaceship Loans. Our program allows you to lease a spaceship for 18 months with no money down, so one day you'll have a spaceship of your own complete with Pinterest set-up living room, modern decor, and your own golden retriever that you can take care of and put on Instagram for at least the next five years until you get bored and realize you're paying too much for dog food. It's time that you became the millennial that you always dreamed of being. It's time to feel the G's with Spaceship Loans. Today's guest is a graduate from Penn State. And no, even though we both went to Penn State and graduated at the same time, we did not know each other, but we had mutual friends. But unlike myself, who got an eight to five job and pursued a career directly out of college, our guest decided to hike. And not just a little bit, over the last four years, he's hiked almost 8,000 miles of US trails, in turn, completing the Triple Crown. Please give a warm welcome and some new shoes to Jacob Gilliland. Welcome to the
2: Traveler's
0: Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Jacob, welcome to the show. We're very excited to have you on. I understand you're a 2014 Penn State graduate like myself, uh, and we're very, very excited to talk to you about your Triple Crown experience and hiking 8,000 miles in the last four years. Uh, Before before we get into what that was like, can you just tell us why? What was your inspiration?
2: Sure. So... Uh, First of all, glad to be on the show. Um, And what kind of, uh, I guess, to answer why I decided to hike, um, it was between 7,500 and 8,000 miles, uh, probably closer to 7,500 in the last four years. But um, I really wanted to step outside of my comfort zone and accomplish something really big and to kind of think outside of the box. Uh, Most of my peers were... Uh, planning on going into the workforce after school, and I just didn't want to rush things. Um, I knew I really liked the outdoors, and I really wanted to kind of decompress after college and figure out what I really wanted to do. And so by tackling all of these trails, I really put my priorities in order, and um, I really pinpointed what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. Uh, so I have the trails to thank for that. Uh, a lot of time to myself.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think about your experience over the last four and a half years now since graduating, and we've had very different experiences because I, I was one of your peers that entered the workforce. And uh my wife and I have been living in South Central PA for the last four and a half years, working away, doing a little bit of the Appalachian Trail here and there. But man, would it be awesome to just take a chunk of time off and tackle one of those trails, any of them really, probably the AT, but
1: yeah. Can Before we get into it, do you mind just breaking down what each trail actually is? Uh, do, you, do you have, you know, the distance in which states they cover?
2: Sure. So the Appalachian Trail, um, which is the first, generally the, the first trail that people hike, it's uh, roughly 2,200 miles long and it encompasses 14 states along the eastern seaboard, uh, starting in Maine and going all the way down to uh Georgia. Um the states that the AT covers is uh Georgia, New Hampshire, Vermont, Connecticut, Massachusetts, uh New York, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Maryland, uh Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, uh Georgia. And um nice. it took me 143 days to do that. Oh. Uh the Pacific the Pacific Crest Trail is 2650 miles long which goes along the Cascade and Sierra Nevada mountain ranges through Washington, Oregon, and California. Uh, So from Canada to Mexico, kind of international borders there. And then the Continental Divide Trail, which is kind of considered the creme de la creme, um, most difficult trail out of the three, is the official route is 3,100 miles. However, you can choose to take alternates on the trail. It's kind of like uh, a pick-your-own-adventure trail. So my (laughs) route... So to speak, ended up being about twenty-seven hundred miles uh, through Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico. And I finished my triple crown in southern New Mexico, right at the Mexican border.
0: Wow! Wow, that's amazing. So I... I'm amazed at myself. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> was it nice to be able to sit for a nice period of time?
2: It was absolutely because you know after a while my feet start hurting. You know doing. 25 to 30 miles a day, day in and day out, really wears you down physically. So it's really Uh, nice to just sit in a chair and drink a beer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I read up on you a little bit, and you had some interesting experiences. You actually encountered a mountain
2: lion while you were hiking? Yes, sir. Um, This was on this past hike on the Continental Mm -hmm. Divide Trail. And um, I was one mile west of Grand Lake, which is on the western border of Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado. And I was actually hiking with another thru-hiker at the time. Uh, a thru-hiker is somebody who starts at one end and completes the whole trail in one push. Um, so I was keeping up with him. He had plans to go into town, uh, into the town of Grand Lake. So we were about 27 miles into the day, and it was pitch dark, about 9 p.m., and both of our headlights were on, and we were tired. And uh, we rounded this corner and we were like in this kind of cut. So there were um, like kind of tall cliffs on both sides. And I came across this pair of bright orange eyes. They were they were huge. And I froze like I don't think I've ever felt something so eerie in my life. Like I knew what it was as soon as I came across it. It was a mountain lion or a a cougar. Um, And so we just had like a stare down uh with this big cat and because there were two of us i think it was kind of uh it was at a standstill like if i was by myself i would imagine the mountain lion might attempt to attack um but you never know i still run it through my mind every now and again you know encountering that lion and that uh, is- did you scary.
0: did you think about hopping on the other person's shoulders at all just to make <laughs> yourself look bigger?
1: Or you know you know the old saying you only have to run faster than the person you're with. So oh, yeah.
2: In this case, I mean he has longer he had longer legs, so he would have been able to outrun me. I like that you
1: thought about it. I like that you eyed it up. So what did the lion end up doing?
2: So it uh, it just kind of slinked away into the darkness. Um, after we had a stare down for about ten minutes, uh, we just kind of faced the lion, didn't turn our backs, didn't run. Kept our headlamps sh- uh, shining right on it, and we also made noise because you're supposed to make yourself a threat. So that's that's kind of what we did, and it seemed to work. Uh, after about 10 minutes, it went away.
1: So you you proved my one of my theories wrong. I have a theory that if you see a mountain lion while you're hiking, it's going to be while it's clamping its jaws around your neck because they only <laughs> if they don't want to be seen, then they then you're not going to see them. Exactly. Um, they scare me so it's a much.
0: good it's a good thing they don't hunt in packs because otherwise Mount lions. Oh, so man. The, the
2: mountain lions are probably the most scariest wildlife on the trail. Uh, more so than a bear.
0: Why is that? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well a bear um, makes itself like known. Like it's not going to like just sneak up on you and like hunt you down. At least not in the lower forty eight. There are instances up in Alaska where the bears will stalk you and hunt you down, such as uh, grizzly bears and polar bears. But, you know, here in the lower 48, that's not the case. They're a lot more afraid of humans than we are of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. the mountain lion I mean, just so elusive, and it, it, it'll it usually be on the higher ground, and then it'll pounce on you when you least expect it.
1: So, uh-huh. I've heard black bear be referred to as just giant raccoons, but it, it's, <laughs> it's the stealth of the mountain lions that really gets me. And the thing... The one thing I do like about mountain lions over grizzly bears is that if they were to attack you, they typically are going to go for the neck. You're going to be done soon. Bears, they just immobilize you and start eating you, and they'll eat you alive. So if I had to choose which one was going to eat me, I would go with the cat. However, you know, the cat scares me way more.
0: (laughs) I think for the next, how long did you have until you got to Grand Lake? How many more miles?
2: It was only one mile.
0: Oh, man. I would... I would be walking back to back with the <laughs> that other person just to make sure it's not <laughs> following us.
2: Right. And who knows? It could have followed us a little more. I would never know because my, my back was facing away. So
0: Yeah. Oh, man. <clears throat> that is pretty terrifying.
1: Yeah. And you, you also encountered bears as well, right?
2: I did. So uh, many bears on each of the trails, but uh, the Continental Divide Trail in particular is the only trail that I encountered grizzly bears. <clears throat> so. Okay. Kozu any, bears and, uh, any anything National
0: happened Park. there or is that just kind of, I mean, it, it doesn't sound like it was as scary as the mountain lion cause it didn't sneak up on you. So
2: not as scary. Um, I guess the most surprising situation with the bear, uh, it was day two of my hike on the continental divide trail and we were in Glacier National Park and my dad was actually hiking the first four days with me and he was out front leading and we were about a mile or so from camp. Um, again, tired, we had our heads down. <clears throat> And the bear was walking the opposite direction on the trail. Like we rounded a corner and we spooked it. (laughs) So we like got up on the high side and waved our arms and made noise. And it actually stood up on its hind legs. Now, it was a young bear. It wasn't showing any signs of aggression or anything. It was just curious to see what we were. And once it kind of figured out that we were humans, it got back down and just ran away. Hmm. So that was interesting. That's so. good.
0: Yeah, I think I don't know. I I don't know enough about the cats, but I think a bear would scare me more than. But I also I also watch the revenant, and that <laughs> terrifies me. Just yeah, the amount, of, I mean, just the amount of damage they can do so quickly, and the fact that they'll just leave you there.
2: Oh yeah, yeah
0: yeah. So I want to I want to backtrack a little bit and get back into how you started hiking, because it wasn't something that you had done all as a kid, right? You ended up hiking a little bit in your last year of college or in high school.
2: Uh, so I was raised, um, uh, to love the outdoors. I was in boy Scouts. Um, that's something that I got into at a very early age and we did a lot of hiking and camping trips in boy Scouts. And so I was already interested in the outdoors. Now, What sparked this long distance stuff, um, I really started doing the very challenging long hikes um, my freshman year of college. Uh, It was spring break, and my dad and I decided to do a 26-mile section on the Appalachian Trail um, from Harrisburg to Boiling Springs. And it was on that section that I really wanted to see what the Appalachian Trail was about. Now, at that point, I didn't know if I wanted to do the whole thing. Uh, all I knew was I wanted to hike all of Pennsylvania, which is about 230 miles of the trail. So over the course of my college years, I did 30 to 40 mile sections of Pennsylvania. And by the end of my junior year, I had finished all of Pennsylvania. So at this point, um, I wanted more. Like I, I was satisfied in the fact that I had completed Pennsylvania, but I knew I could do more. So I came up with this grand idea that I was going to hike the whole Appalachian Trail all 2,200 miles of it um, the month after I graduated college.
0: Wow. So yeah, so let's talk about that because you graduated in May mm-hmm. and that would have put you starting in June and most people do not start going, most people do, I think it's 90% do yes. uh, south to north. And yes. So you actually did the opposite. You did north to south because-, yes. because and-
2: Yeah, the timing worked out. Um, and also I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to race winter starting south and going north and trying to beat the snows in Maine.
0: Yeah. So I'm sure you ran into a lot more people going southbound because a lot of people were heading north.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of nice for the first, uh, month or so. I started June 2nd up on Mount Katahdin, which is the Northern terminus of the trail. And I really didn't start running into hikers until about Vermont. And, like, in those mid-Atlantic states is where I ran into the bulk of the hikers. Um, Now, I read the statistics on how many people actually started down in Georgia, and it was about an estimated 2,500. Oh, wow. And uh, the number of people who started north to south, the way I did it, was about 242. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, it is about 10%. That's kind
2: of cool. Yeah, so...
0: Um, and then you, you actually completed it. So 143 days is about four months,
2: yeah, so a four little over four months. Days. Yep.
0: Okay. So that, that mean you finished, uh, in Georgia in about October, end of October.
2: Yep. So I finished at Springer mountain on October 22nd. All right. And a good thing because I found out about two weeks later that they dumped, uh, two feet of snow on the mountain. Oh, oh wow. I, uh, I I just missed the snow.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that month that you took between graduation and starting the the trail, did you plan a lot and did you act- did you do this supported or uh self-supported?
2: Uh I did the supported. Okay. Um so I had my parents mail me packages uh from my home address and I also got a lot of uh rides into town okay so technically to be self supported you have to um not be sent any packages like you have to physically go into the grocery stores and get food yourself and you can't get any rides from anybody so Ooh. much harder
1: much yeah. harder yeah so wait uh, I didn't know about this different classification so there's a supported and non supported when you say getting rides what do you mean getting i know i mean i mean I know you mean like getting rides into town but doesn't that take you off the trail? So
2: so rides, uh, the trail crosses the road um, or like a forest road or a highway or even goes through a town uh, at some points along these trails. And um, if it's a certain distance out where it's too far to walk, you have to hitch a ride into town um, because you don't want to spend too much time and energy walking to town and then walking back. Um, so I hitched. I threw my thumb out along the highway. And hitched anywhere from five miles all the way up to like forty plus miles. Wow. Oh wow. Wait,
1: so how did that go? How can do you have any interesting hitchhiking stories?
2: Uh other than crazy drivers, uh, where I thought we were gonna wreck. Um, <laughs> not really. I mean, I've had drivers like drink drink, physically drink beers and stuff while driving, especially in Montana. Everybody Rank and drive. Um, I, <laughs> oh, wow. you know, I, I, I kind of made like judgment calls, um, to see if I really wanted to get in the car with the person you know, um, but for the most part, everybody was chill. They were happy to help out.
1: And did they have an idea, I guess, as they were stopping that you were maybe one of the through hikers for these trails?
2: Yeah. So it, we always laugh, um, you know, kind of the distinguishing thing between a through hiker and maybe somebody who's trying to get money or, or homeless or something. Uh, We carry the fancy trekking poles. Um, And so that's, that's how we kind of distinguish. Um, Yeah. These trail towns kind of have a culture. Um, They surround themselves with hikers and hikers go in there and and give people their business, whether it be restaurants, hotels, uh, laundromats, uh, things of that nature. So people are very, very familiar with hikers in that surrounding area. Huh. Okay. And did you have
1: these towns pre-mapped?
2: Yes. So okay. the bulk of the work for planning these hikes logistically was figuring out where I was going to stop and resupply for food. Um, so on average, I would go anywhere between four and six days between uh, food stops. And um, on average, each trail I would have... Uh, about 20 stops.
0: Okay. So, did you ever churn down any hitchhiking rides?
2: Uh, I have. Yeah. Yeah. I saw <laughs> some sketchy characters, uh, New Mexico in particular. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Just, I, I didn't really feel comfortable uh, hitching rides there. So
1: you, like, you put your thumb out and they stop and then you just go up to the window like, you know what, mind just (laughs) kidding. It's
2: (laughs) like, Hey, you need a ride. I'm just like, Oh no, I'm good. I I, I thought you were somebody else or something like that. (laughs) So that, that old saying
0: (laughs) beggars can't be choosers isn't true. Right.
2: Exactly. (laughs) I mean, there were parts of the, of, you know, hitching into town where you may see a car once an hour. Uh, I've heard hikers waiting up to six hours to get a ride in some places. So it definitely helps to set up a ride before you get to cross it. So.
0: So I, I really want to get into, you have these supplies set for you. How much, how much food did you bring for the four to six day periods and what kind of foods did you usually bring?
2: Right. So I would pack, uh, about a pound and a half of food, uh, per day, uh, calorie wise, Anywhere between 3,000 and upwards of five to 6,000 calories per day. So, I mean, I've had, uh, you know, food carries upwards of 10 pounds of, of food, uh, at a time. And, um, you had mentioned, uh, like some of the foods I would carry, um, a lot of fat and protein. Um, yeah. so little Debbie's, anything under the little Debbie label <laughs> I would consume, like the, the fudge brownies the large glazed honey buns, very dense food that really doesn't provide a whole lot of nutritional value. It just provides the calories and fuel that I need to push on for the next several miles. Um, I ate a lot of granola, pop tarts, uh, chips, uh, things of that nature that I would never really eat on a regular basis in real life. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, that's also some of the easier foods to just grab on the go, you know, especially when you're stopping in some of these small towns.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you're definitely not going to be grabbing like apples or watermelons.
2: <laughs> right. You need you need the food to last a long time, so they can't really be perishable.
0: Yeah. Did you have any issues with rationing?
2: Uh, yeah, there were a couple times on the trail, uh, the Continental Divide Trail in particular, where the food carries are much longer than the other trails. Um, I would, I, I ran out of food a couple places, and I had to beg food. Uh, I had to beg for food from the other hikers. Oh wow. Kind of embarrassing, but, you know... It can't be be terribly
0: uncommon, though, can it?
2: No, I mean, people ask for food all the time. Okay.
0: All right. Well, so I have this... I did some quick calcs, because Amanda and I have been looking at uh, what it would take to do the AT, and we looked at food, and I really think that she wants to through-hike the AT just so she can eat all all the food she wants. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I... For the calculations, I estimated you averaged about 18 miles a day, so close to like 4,000 or 4,500 calories. And based on the close to 8,000 miles that you did, it's equivalent to 3,200 Big Macs. Wow. That's <laughs> or impressive. or if you didn't like the Big Macs and you wanted to go with something a little more simple, uh, 2,200 sticks of butter. Wow. Yeah. And in total, it would have been like under, just under 2 million calories.
1: That's, that's incredible.
0: It is. It is. That's a lot of pizza.
1: Puts it in perspective a little bit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I, I mean, Amanda and I love pizza. <laughs> it's like when we, whenever we travel anywhere, it's always find the best pizza place.
2: Right. I mean, what's great about a thru-hike is you're burning calories so quickly that you can eat whatever you want because you're going to burn it off.
0: Did you you lose any weight
2: on the trail?
1: On any Uh, of the trails? I
2: did did not lose any weight on the trail. Um, I either maintained or gained a couple pounds um, in muscle.
1: Now, did you train physically? Did, you know, do any specific workouts to just get you into hiking shape prior to this?
2: I actually did not. Uh, I didn't do any training physically. I just kind of threw myself in there and... um, you know, started off doing really small days, you know, 10 to 12 miles a day, and then working my way up to about 15 to 18 miles a day uh, after the first two weeks. And then by the end of the first month, I would consistently do 20 plus miles. Wow, that's uh,
0: 20 plus is generally from what I've listened to and read is 20 plus is really good.
2: Yeah, I mean, I um, I really, uh, I kind of was, with the mileage on the Appalachian Trail, I only did one 30-plus mile day. Um, now, the Pacific Crest Trail and the Continental Divide Trail, I did more consistent 30-plus mile days. Uh, this past trail, I even did a 40-mile day. Oh, wow. Uh, which, it was uh, intense, but it kind of worked out. Um, I was supposed to ford this river 52 times, but it got flooded out. So I was kind of forced to take the highway all the way into town. So I highway walked for 40 miles. Um, uh,
0: yeah. And that's a lot different than some of the Appalachian Trail terrain, which is very, oh, can yeah. be very rocky.
2: Absolutely. And a lot of elevation change very quickly.
0: Yeah. Um. Really quick. I, I'm... A big fan of food so I did want to ask what was your favorite meal on any of the hikes like I know a lot of the trails have specific destinations in towns that have food challenges or provide meals for through hikers what was your favorite
2: well there's a let's see there's two meals that come to mind Um, one meal was when I got out of the 100 mile wilderness up in Maine so I had been hiking for 10 straight days and I came upon this restaurant and i went in the restaurant and i said i would like a half pound hamburger with fries a lobster roll with fries and i would also like uh, a samuel adams boston lager and the guy looked at me like i was crazy but that meal was so good i mean i i downed both plates um within 5 minutes oh man and, it sounds uh, good to me right now uh, i know it was, it was fantastic um The other meal was actually in a packaged form, and you just add hot water and let it soak. But it was a, um, it was from Alpine Air, which is similar to like a backpacker's pantry or mountain house meal. But it was spicy sausage pasta.
0: Ooh. Is that like an MRE?
2: Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Okay. Very calorie dense, uh, very packable. And I had eaten that meal for dinner after I had done about 25 miles. Okay. And it was super hot. And, uh, it just felt nice to relax at camp and eat that meal.
1: Yeah. Well, so what would you recommend people bring over anything else when they're packing for this as far as food goes?
2: So there's a couple of things with food that, uh, one needs to consider. Um, you know, how dense is it? So, in other words, um, how many calories does it provide for the weight? Um, so you want to have high calorie, low weight uh the best way to achieve that is to have as much fat um and protein as possible. Um fat is 9 kilocalories per gram. So I mean you could bring sticks of butter uh, <laughs> theoretically, but it wouldn't be very uh, appetizing. I do want to kind of want to balance it out there uh with a little bit of uh you know protein and carbs, but fat is the main thing if you want to Keep something very dense. Uh, some good examples, peanut butter, uh, fudge brownies, Fritos. Uh, um, and if you crush them up, you can actually uh, put more into like a quart-sized bag and have it be very, very packable and provide a meal in itself mm. if you wanted it to, um, you know, over a thousand calories. Um, another good thing, Pringles, uh, granola is very good for you, and it's actually calorie dense. Um so, yeah, that's just things basically energy dense.
0: Yeah, so not, not like the rice wafers. Right. right. <laughs> that like so blow out of your they hand.
2: Do, they, they do weigh uh, a lot less than some of the other foods. However, the calories just aren't there. Yeah. Right.
1: So. Yeah. so, well, did you bring any specific items that you then realized were worthless, you know, like rice cakes or something like that, that, <laughs> that you then realized, you know, I shouldn't have packed this. This isn't going to help me in any way. Trail mix. Trail mix. I I
2: remember making. But it's trail mix. Yeah, (laughs) wait. I know. I I remember making a couple gallons worth of trail mix before my Appalachian trail hike, and I just got so sick of it. And I mean, yes, it provides a lot of calories, but it's so heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's almost as many carbs as it is fat. I think that was the problem. Um, Now, a mixed assortment of nuts would actually be better. Then trail mix that had like raisins or M and M's or you know something like that.
1: Right. So you do
2: like uh, walnuts, pecans, and hazelnuts. That would be a much better option because it not only provides more calories, but it's fat, and you get more calories per ounce. What about like a five-pound jar of Nutella? <laughs> Nutella is a very, very good option to bring on the trail. All right, um,
0: I think I'm going to through hike it's now. Peanut butter.
1: <laughs> So don't a five-pound jar make, of
0: Nutella.
2: Don't make a mistake that I did and try to save weight foolishly and spoon the peanut butter into a Ziploc bag and uh, then put it in your backpack. Just keep it in the jar <laughs> so you don't get everything all messy.
1: You could save weight by spooning it into your mouth and then it's less you have to carry. Exactly. exactly. So yes.
2: I have actually I've gotten to the point in my hiker hunger, they call it, where I would consume an entire jar of peanut butter in one sitting. Wow. Whoa. It's impressive. Yes. And a jar of yeah. Nutella. So. Wow.
1: Now, would you dip the spoon in the peanut butter and then into the Nutella?
2: Absolutely. Put a little yeah. okay. in Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. That's, that's You can gold. use your imagination. Uh, I That's the limit.
1: Yeah. I could live this hiker life.
0: Uh, have you, all right. Have you heard of Biscoff? The Biscoff spread? I have. I have. Did you, did you use any of that? not all right because like those the you know the bob you know the biscoff cookies that you sometimes get on airplanes Mm-hmm. so there's a spread that is just biscoff cookie spread
2: what and That's it a is game changer
0: it is phenomenal i i love that stuff but it's super expensive
2: yeah, yeah. i would imagine I yeah.
1: would
0: Imagine. i mean i mean i guess it's not more expensive than like almond butter or cashew butter but it's not anywhere as cheap as peanut butter right All right. So we've talked about the really important thing of food, but what about water? How much water did you have to carry for those, especially for that 10 day hike through the 100 mile wilderness?
2: Right. So what's nice about uh, the Appalachian Trail, um, there's a lot of water sources. So I never really had to carry more than a liter of water. Uh, And the way that I would uh, treat the water, because you have to have, you can't just drink straight from the stream because there's, you know, waterborne pathogens in the system that can get you sick. Uh, so to, pre- to prevent things like Giardia or Cryptosporidium, you need to carry either a filter or you need to carry some form of like liquid drops, uh, like chlorine dioxide drops or iodine tablets to purify the water. Uh, the Appalachian Trail, I carried uh, iodine tablets and Aquamira uh, chlorine di- di- dioxide drops.
0: Mm.
2: Uh, it did a really nice job of purifying the water. The wait time to let it like purify was very minimal no more than 15 minutes okay and uh there was no aftertaste
0: yeah uh, that's gonna be my next question
2: yeah um now the iodine i did add a little bit of uh like flavoring because um, i mean it's iodine it, it tastes a little but the aquamira had no aftertaste okay. um now the pct and the cdt i carried a filter um because especially down in the desert there's a lot of um, a lot of cow patties, so to speak. Ooh. So there'd be like um, just like pieces of cow poop in the water sources. So I had to filter that out.
1: That's pretty gross. Are you, are you familiar with that Life Straw? I am. Yeah. And did you have
2: one? I did not. Uh, no. I do. I do have one currently in my camping uh, equipment. Um, however, I have not used it yet. Um, I don't Same. particularly like sticking my face down to a water source because uh, there's always that possibility of something splashing up and like getting in your nose or your mouth or your eyes and and getting you sick.
1: Mm. That's a good point. Yeah, I I have one too. I haven't used it yet. Yeah, but yeah, that's a really good point. Well, and the I think they made a
0: variation of it that kind of just goes into a water bottle. You can fill it up. And then that provides the filtration that way,
1: they did, yeah, so I think their first their first you know sales item was this straw that you actually have to bend down, put into the water, and drink straight out of the water source, but now they have yeah, plastic water bottles that actually have the the filter sits in the center of the water bottle, you fill the water around it, and then as you take in water, it goes through this filtration system yeah. um, it's basically a straw inside of the water bottle. I haven't tried it or. I don't even know anybody who has, but it yeah. seems like the company's doing pretty well. So I'm assuming they they work pretty well.
2: Excellent. That's that's yeah. pretty
1: awesome. I
0: think Lena had one of those in her chili bike ride. She may have. Oh, yeah, okay. May have.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. Oh, I forget what I was going to next.
1: We were we are water something from water.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: the mo- so. <laughs> I just want to bring up the um the driest section, like where there's no natural water sources. Uh, was on the Pacific Crest Trail. It was 36 miles without any water source. So I had to carry about a gallon and a half of water with me. Wow. Which it's um, about eight pounds per gallon. Yeah. So lo- a lot of weight there. Yeah. Well,
0: so going back to some of the packing items, was there anything that you started with, especially in the beginning, like when you're first going out on the trail, you think you need all this stuff, Was there something or a few items that you were like, I really don't need this, and you just kind of started shedding it or sending it back home?
2: So there were three items in particular that I brought with me and didn't need. And this was actually on the Appalachian Trail when I was still new to the sport of long-distance hiking. Um, I, I took like a bivy tarp. So in addition to my tent, I had a bivy tarp for like emergencies. Like if I got stuck up on a mountain ridge and I couldn't really set up my tent safely, um, I could just slip into a, a waterproof bivy sack and kind of hold there until the storm passed. Um, I did not use that at all. Uh, <laughs> so I, I sent it home. Uh, another item was a one-pound Leatherman. Um, a one pound? One, it weighed one pound. That's and huge. Normally, hikers would carry like a little Swiss Army knife that weighed a couple ounces, but... For some reason, I needed this big multi-tool, and the only thing I used it for was to, I used the pliers to get the tent stakes out of the ground. And I figured after a while, I mean, I could just, you know, I could do it some other way. I had to get rid of that pound. Yeah. Um, The third item was bug spray, believe it or not. Um, So I found that bug protective clothing is a lot better than bug spray, and it's better for the environment. Oh, that's interesting. I like it.
1: So what type of bug protective
2: clothing would you wear? So I would order, I'm would a huge fan of nylon. And because the nylon is such a tight weave, the mosquitoes have a really hard time of piercing it. Um, and it has uh, sun protection, so it kind of kills two birds with one stone.
0: Nice. Um,
2: you could treat it with a chemical called uh, pyrethrin, uh, which a lot of hikers do. But I didn't feel the need to just because it was nylon. Uh, the mosquitoes couldn't bite through it.
0: Um, was there anything on the trail that you wish you had?
2: Mm. A <laughs> I wish I had thicker gloves uh for those really really cold mornings. Oh yeah. Um, let's see. Um a more substantial like insulated jacket that's kind of like a parka style and is also waterproof. Uh there were times where, you know, I had this thin rain jacket on and I didn't want to get my down jacket out because I, you know, when down gets wet, it's useless. Um, so there were times where I got hypothermic because I didn't have enough layers at the time, but I mean, I'm not going to, it's not really feasible to bring, you know, a couple pounds jacket with you. Yeah. Right.
1: Now, can I ask what type of, I'm a huge fan of backpacks. I actually have like a slight backpack addiction. It's weird. What? <laughs> I, I'm really into backpacks. You yeah, have yeah. too many. I do. I have way too many. You have a Um, backpack for your backpacks. (laughs) Well, that's how I store them. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So what type of bag did you have? What type of backpack did you have?
2: So for the Appalachian Trail, I used an Osprey Atmos 65 liter pack. That's what I started out with. And by the way, I'm a huge fan of Osprey. I've owned four or five packs over the years. Um, So I started out with that. And then I streamlined my gear a little bit for the PCT and the CDT. And I used a slightly smaller and lighter bag it was the osprey exos 58 liter pack
1: nice and they held up pretty well i've looked at <clears throat> i've looked at their reviews they're yeah highly rated i haven't really done something like a hike that would require a bag this big yet um yeah, yeah. but it's good to know hopefully i will be doing hikes like this
2: hey i hope so too i mean um and the thing about the almighty guarantee from Osprey it works because after I was done each hike I turned it in and they replaced it for free. Wow. Yes. What wait what is the what is this almighty guarantee? So Osprey uh basically covers all of its products. Um and if you you know let's say you get a hole in the bag or one of the straps breaks or you know something of that nature um, or you go on a through hike and it's just, you know, battered. You can send it into the company. If they can't repair it, they will replace it for free.
1: Wow. That's awesome. That's, uh, you know, they're not the only company that does that. I know, being a backpack guy, uh, <laughs> so I know North Face has something similar, uh, If like a zipper breaks or anything like that breaks. They're, they're pretty good with replacing it too, from what I understand. And then I just purchased a backpack from this company called Cotopaxi, and Yeah, they seem like an awesome company, and they they give a sixty one year warranty with their backpacks. Sixty one years. Why? What's the sixty one number? That's the average lifespan of uh, someone growing up in a developed nation, a developing Ah. nation. Yeah, and they're they're very. A lot of the the profits go to support developing nations, and really interesting backstory. I highly recommend anybody looking into that company. And I'm not getting paid to say this.
2: (laughs) I actually uh, sell Cotopaxi uh, packs at my store that I work at.
0: Oh
1: nice, ah, right. nice. I just bought the uh the thirty-five liter. I forget what it's called. Uh it's nice. Uh, it's nice. And I actually got my sister uh the smaller, I think it's an eighteen liter for Christmas.
2: Fantastic.
1: Yeah. So with all
0: of the with all the hiking, with all the gear that we've been talking about, how many pairs of shoes did you go through on the trail?
2: So uh on the Appalachian Trail, um I actually wore hiking boots. Um I wore a pair of Basque uh breeze boots. Um, I went through two pairs. That's not bad. And, uh, that's because my feet increased half a size. So I was forced to get another pair. Um, I could have easily done the trail with one pair. Okay. So highly recommend the vast boots. Um, and then for the PCT and the CDT, again, streamlining my gear and thinking more lightweight, I decided to go with more of a trail, uh, trail running type shoe. And I went with the La sportiva ultra Raptor, okay. uh, on the PCT, Pacific Crest Trail, um, I went through three pairs of shoes. Uh, My last pair lasting me over half the trail, uh, 1,300 miles, um, which was incredible. Uh, And then the Continental Divide Trail, I went through four pairs of shoes.
0: Okay. So uh, what did you get per shoe? Roughly like 600 to 700 miles?
2: Yeah, that would be the typical lifespan. And um, the first pair would only last me you know, five to 600 miles because of the wet environment. Uh. Um, Right. So, and then also like in the the more arid sections, like the desert, there's a lot of abrasive stuff, you know, prickly pear cactus and sand really took a number on the shoes. So, um, yeah,
0: that's interesting. (laughs) I know for running, um, I tend to run, I used to run a lot more, and every time I would go to get a new pair of shoes, they're like, When's the last time you replace these? It's like, I don't know, like a year or two. And <laughs> I'd probably done like seven or 800 miles in them. And they're like, Yeah, you need to replace those like now.
2: Oh, yeah. I
1: was like, Oh, all right. I bought a pair of Solomons for $20 in Bosnia and they're holding out stuff. <laughs> so, what? Yep.
2: Yeah.
1: That's
2: a good shoe. Yeah, Solomon.
1: yeah. Oh, I'm doing I, air. I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're real, man, and they're holding up. I've gone trail running with them, and I'm wait. I was waiting for them to fall apart, and that was uh, that was over a year ago. So I think they're real.
0: Well, you also haven't been trail running since then.
1: Yeah. I haven't, I haven't been doing that much, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do wear them in the gym. Yeah. 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 So, all right. So I'm, I'm curious to hear now the highlights, uh, some of your favorite points of these trails, you know, some of the most memorable moments, uh, what are they?
2: So the most memorable moments on the trail is when I was hiking with my dad. Um, he joined me twice on each trail. Uh, so hiking, uh, Pennsylvania with my dad and my little brother and my dog, was a highlight uh the smoky mountains uh, when the leaves were turning uh red yellow orange uh fantastic um on the west coast i ha- had the chance to summit mount whitney which is the highest point in the lower 48 oh that's uh, awesome over 14,500 feet. That's and amazing. uh that was probably my favorite memory out of all of the trails was summiting mount whitney with my dad it took all of his efforts to make it to the top. And, um, I'm really proud of him. And it was just, the view is spectacular. I could see for hundreds of miles in either direction. Um, that's,
1: that's a hell of a summit. Yeah, it is.
2: is. I mean, we started at like 10,000 feet and we gained, uh, you know, 4,500 feet and the, uh, the trip was 17 miles round trip. Wow. And
1: then for you to come back down and then just continue on your hike.
2: <laughs> I mean, I wanted to keep going, but my dad was too exhausted to do anything. He was too tired to even eat dinner. I had to force him to eat.
0: What? Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Have you summited Mount Washington in New Hampshire?
2: I have. The, the Appalachian Trail actually goes over the summit of Mount Washington.
1: Oh. Oh, okay. It, yeah. Uh,
2: that was actually pretty memorable. Um I remember I was my plan was to summit it on July 4th, 2014. When I was doing the trail, but the wind chill was 10 to 20. Um, it was a thunderstorm and the winds were 90 plus miles an hour. So it wasn't in the books to summit that day. Um, so I went the next day and still it was like 60 to 70 mile winds. Um, and then the temperature was like 40 and it was overcast. I got knocked over several times, uh, going up to the top.
1: It's notorious for that, for those wins. And a lot of people end up – yeah, a lot of people end up dying because of it. Ellie and I have sort of been eyeing it up. Uh, we, yeah. we have.
2: <laughs> yeah. One of my goals in the near future is to do a winter summit of Mount Washington.
1: Oh, oh, man. We'll have to keep in touch. That, not for me to come with you. I'm just curious I, yeah. to yeah. See, how, how just see how it goes.
0: To see how it goes, yeah. yeah.
2: Uh,
0: so That's intense. Of, the, of the three trails, uh, what – I mean – you don't have to tell us on the air. You can tell us afterwards. But what is your favorite?
2: My favorite is the Pacific Crest Trail. It is. I would absolutely hike that trail again um, just because it it went through so many varying landscapes. I got to summit Mount Whitney. I got to see Crater Lake, which is a oh, just a yeah. crown jewel. Um, I got to experience my first desert walk. Um Let's see. I got to go to the high Sierras, which I've always wanted to do. Um, I mean, it was just incredible. Um, A lot of high altitude stuff, a lot of snow travel. It was just a a really good mixed bag. And I would I would totally do it again.
0: A nice change of scenery every once in a while. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the
2: AT is kind of notorious for being a green tunnel. So it's nice that I was able to just constantly see what was ahead.
0: Yeah. What's the so on the Oregon coast near Cannon Beach? There's a section of the Pacific Crest Trail um, that kind of goes up a mountain. It's just south of Cannon Beach. And I was in Portland last May, and I think I actually walked on a little bit of the Pacific Crest Trail. And I mean, that's that is my claim to the Pacific Crest Trail, like all one and a half miles of it. <laughs> <laughs> But this, the views really were spectacular, and the, I don't know how the weather was comparatively to like the Continental Divide Trail or the AT, but it seems like it would be a little nicer, maybe a little more rainy.
2: Yeah, uh, a lot of rain on the Appalachian Trail. Um, oh. However, I was at low elevation. It was, it was warm. Okay. Um, the, the worst weather I've had was on the Continental Divide Trail okay. by far. I got snowed on, rained on, thunderstorm, fire, I mean, more, more times than I could. <laughs> Did you say fire? Fire. Yeah.
1: Had to deal with wildfires, right? You
2: were out there. Uh, yes. I know I escaped all of them, um, but only within about 24 hours. Oh, uh, so wow. They actually, they actually closed the sections of trails behind me. Um, as I saw this little plume of smoke, um, erupt the next day and just engulf, uh, CDT.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So did, was there any kind of warning for that? Like, did they have a system in place?
2: Not really. I mean, there's no self service, really. Uh, uh-huh. So, yeah, it's, you just kind of have to be safe.
0: Well, speaking of cell service, did you have any kind of technologies with you, any kind of GPS, or did you use paper maps to kind of keep on track?
2: So I had a couple different things. Um, now, for the Appalachian Trail, navigation is not an issue. So the only thing that I had was a guidebook. Uh, it was about 200-some pages that listed all the shelters and water. It wasn't so much navigation. It was more informational. Um, PCT, I had paper maps and a compass. Um, and after that, um, you know, I kind of figured that I needed something a little bit more substantial. Uh, so I ended up getting, uh, for the third trail, I ended up getting a GPS and uh, full-color topographic maps And then I also had an app called gut hook on my smartphone that would allow me to follow the red line, so to speak. And, um, that was, that was my sole That happened to be my sole navigation on the continental divide trail after I figured out what it was. Okay.
0: Uh, Because I have the gut hook for, for the AT, and it it is pretty useful. I mean, we've only done a few overnights, um, but, and there's also cell service everywhere. But the Gut Hook app, does that also work when you're not in service? Like yeah, you so it, explain works what...
2: off, it works offline.
1: Okay. What is the Gut
2: Hook app? So it, it basically it was designed by through hikers. And um, it's basically, it outlines the entire trail with every single waypoint on the trail. So it lists every road crossing, water source, campsite, it lists town information. Uh, stuff like that and they have it for like 20 or 30 long distance trails like notable long distance trails
0: yeah it's it's pretty awesome it's very Uh, it's
2: it's quite amazing
0: well one thing that i've always wondered and it's something that uh i've thought about myself if i ever did the at through hiking is what do you do in the evening like do you do you read at all or do you just are you just so wiped after like making dinner set pitching up the tent that you just kind of crash and don't really do anything?
2: So normally I would be so exhausted after doing, you know, 25, 30 miles a day. I would just eat dinner in my tent and then go to sleep. Um, The Appalachian Trail, I did read a couple of books. um, But, you know, on the other trails, I didn't want to carry the weight. So I didn't, I didn't read it all. Um, I was more or less just alone with my thoughts and had a lot of time to think.
1: So that actually, that'll bring me into my question. Yeah. So, It seems like one of the things that drove you to do this hike was just for your own mental well being. You just wanted, you know, you had the motivation to do it. And when you came out of it and when I mean it, like all three hikes, I guess, do you have this new found perspective of what you're capable of and this new mentality on, I don't know, maybe just life in general?
2: Absolutely. Uh, first and foremost, um, it's definitely hiking these three trails has given me a spiritual awakening. Um, you know, I grew up Catholic, but I was just kind of going through the motions. Um, but hiking these three trails, being in nature, being with God, that, that's where I feel closest with him. Um, definitely more spiritual now. Uh, I pray more often. Uh, things just seem to be coming together for me. And I think it's just because I've just surrounded myself with God and all of his glory. Um, so that's first and foremost. Uh, another thing, it's really helped me with uh, getting my priorities straight. And, uh, you know, time management and uh, just having something to look forward to, um, you know, setting goals all the time, being motivated uh, and also confidence. Um, I can tackle things that I used to think were so difficult that are nothing to me now. I mean, I always tell my dad, if I can hike these three trails, dad, I can do anything. If I want to start my own fly fishing guide service in central Pennsylvania in the next five years, I'm going to do that because I'm passionate about it. And, uh, um, you know, let's say I want to write a book in the fall, which I plan on starting uh, in the fall when I come back from Alaska. Um, I can do these things with confidence now. I don't, there's not so much of a hesitation anymore because of hiking these three trails.
1: I like it. Yeah. I mean, it takes a lot. It takes, you know, dismissing the, the physical aspect of it. The, the, this, the process from saying, I think I should do it. To achieving it is so vast, and there's so many steps. It's very impressive, and yeah. and yeah, it's it's awesome. And yeah. I'm glad that you came out of it with this newfound perspective and these these new aspirations. Yeah, absolutely.
2: But- and I, I always tell people if you want to achieve a goal, first and foremost, write it down, type it down, um, say it over and over again in your mind, um, and you essentially want to. You know, you can make goals, but something even better would be to, um, you know, affirm it, like say it, um, say it as if you already completed it. And then your mind is automatically going to be like, whoa, wait a minute, I haven't done it. I, I guess I'd better get on it and just go ahead and do it.
1: Yeah. So are you familiar? Do you know who Dave Goggins is?
2: <laughs> I do not.
1: No, you're really going to like this guy. So I'm actually reading his book right now and he started out as this guy completely demotivated and had no aspirations and was really on the wrong track, overweight, and he ended up going through BUDS training and becoming a Navy SEAL. Okay. And his book, so I I highly recommend it on audio format and audible because between each chapter, he'll talk to the listener as a podcast. So it's an audio book and a podcast together, but it's a lot of the things that you described, he describes as part of his process from, you know, waking up and saying, I want to do this and then writing it down. I forget what he called it, but he had this mirror in his room where he just wrote on post-it notes. And when he would hit the goal, he'd take that post-it note off and put put another one up. And the transformation that this guy went through to being this very overweight guy to one of the best people to graduate buds is is was incredible, so... I think you should check him out. He, he sounds like he's right up your Absolutely, rally. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Check him out. I'm, I'm going to yeah. check him out too. Yeah, his name's David Goggins, and his book is Can't Hurt Me. Yeah,
0: and sure. so I mean, to your point, Jacob, the the mental fortitude that it takes to just say you want to do it, and then to maintain that mental fortitude through all seventy five to eight thousand miles it's it's incredible because a lot of people will start all of those trails and many of them won't finish. And so now you are in a, an elite group of maybe 400 to 450 people that have completed all three major North American trails.
2: Yeah, it, it's pretty incredible. I mean, I remember w- when I finally realized that I was going to tackle this and accomplish these trails, I that's all I would think about, you know, crossing that finish line. Seeing my, I would picture all of my family standing at the at the border or at the at the southern terminus, greeting me and congratulating me. That that's what kept me going. I had a great support system. Um, I definitely could not have done it alone. Um, but yeah, it was it was incredible.
1: Now, do you have future plans for as far as hiking is concerned?
2: So, as far as hiking, um, I have plans to uh, hike the Long Trail in Vermont uh, which shares about a hundred or so miles with the Appalachian trail. Uh, it's about 275 miles long and it's America's oldest long distance trail. Now I kind of have OCD. So like once I start a trail, I have to like see it through to the end. So because I've already done, you know, 105 miles or so of the long trail, I have to do the Northern half to kind of connect the dot. <laughs> so yeah, it's been bugging me a little bit, but, um, The timing for that hike will work out perfectly. Um, I will be guiding in Alaska this summer, and I will be coming back here first week of September, so I'll be able to do a fall uh, hiking trip.
0: Oh, awesome. By the way, you mentioned Alaska twice now. Are you guiding uh, fishing trips?
2: Yes. So I'm a salmon fishing guide up there uh, in the summers. This will be my third season up there with the same company. And uh, I guide for red salmon and silver salmon. We do remote flyouts on bush planes uh and we also do glacier tours and bear viewing oh that's awesome so Ooh.
0: i've i done alaskan fishing twice but it was a off of admiralty island further south of juneau okay um, it's whalers cove lodge they they're pretty awesome i've done them a few times and i think we'll keep going back to them but they do Excellent. um in the in the sea open ocean but it's actually like kind of in the archipelago so it's not yeah. The waters are still very calm and they do river tours as well, but we've never done those. We usually just stick to the salmon, halibut and uh, a little bit of cod and rockfish.
2: That's the way to go. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful so
0: place. before, before we let you go, do you have um, any social media or any other places people could reach you at or read some more of your articles?
2: So on Facebook, there is a link, uh, that Penn State Alumni Association shared um, featuring my article, my lengthy article about my Triple Crown experience. Um, you could also go to York Daily Record and find the article on there. Um, also, um, I do have a blog. Um, mm-hmm. It is jacobgilliland.com and that has, or jacobgilliland.wordpress.com uh, to be more exact. And basically what that includes is all of my blogs from all three hikes, uh, plus uh, Alaska. So awesome. I will be I will be updating that as soon as I can. Um, but I have lots of pictures on there and lots of cool stuff that you guys can check out.
0: Awesome. Yeah, we will. Awesome. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, before we actually started the show that you have uh, something coming up in early April.
2: Yes. Yeah, so the place that I work, uh, which is Appalachian Outdoors in downtown State College, I'm an outdoor adventure specialist there, and I will be doing a presentation about my Triple Crown experience on April third. Okay.
1: Awesome. So if you're in the area, any listeners in the area, definitely go check that out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well we we very much appreciate you coming on. Um, it's been great listening to your experience of the triple completing the triple crown. Congratulations. It's an incredible hey, hey, accomplishment. Thank you
2: so much, guys. Yeah. yeah.
0: I'm excited to see what you tackle next.
2: Yeah, me too. So yeah, the sky's the limit. Yeah. Nothing's impossible. <laughs>
0: All right, that's our show for today. What an incredible, incredible experience for him. And to have completed the Triple Crown at such a young age is quite the accomplishment. And that just goes to show, he just did it. He just did it right after graduating Penn State. And he was like, you know what? I want to figure out what I'm doing with my life. I haven't trained for it at all, but I like the outdoors. So I'm just going to prepare and I'm going to do it. And then he just did another... Eight or 6,000 miles on top of the Appalachian.
1: So it, se- it seems like these hikes are the type of hikes that you just have to do. You If you put too much thought or you wait on them, they're hard to get around to because they require so much of your time, especially to do all three. It seems like he did it at the perfect time. He just graduated school. You know, he didn't quite have a job lined up yet, and then he just went for it. Uh, it's, yeah, that's, yeah he, he couldn't have timed it better, and I, that's such an awesome accomplishment.
0: I completely agree because he and I, and I am I guess you, all three of us had very different post-college experiences, but the trails I would equate almost to like having a kid. Like you can't, you can't time it perfectly no matter what, but the best time to have it is when you just think you're going to do it and just do it because <laughs> you have
1: to make time for it. Advice for whether or not you want to hike or have a baby by Elliot Shibley. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there are people- that hike with a kid hey dude when are we gonna do mount washington are you even more stoked to, to try this now now
0: i'm gonna bring my wingsuit yeah i don't want to be like a flying squirrel
1: it, yeah, yeah after he told us that it makes me feel like i need to train more or i don't know i'm just, just, gonna, just gonna wear lead,
0: lead, lead boots <laughs> Ooh, that's a good idea yeah because your
1: play zelda ocarina of time oh yeah in the attempt the, the water temple when you have those boots and you just sink to the bottom and then you can clank around yes we need those <laughs>
0: Clank, clank, clank. Yeah,
1: exactly. Might suck getting up there, but then once you're there, you're definitely safe. Oh, yeah. Who cares mm-hmm. about the weight? Yeah. I think anybody's listening right now. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, hey, <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast. As always, uh, rate us on iTunes, please. Rate us on iTunes. Really helpful. Join our Travelers Blueprint Community Facebook group, which we're growing. Um, and Instagram is probably where we're the most active. So check that out. Also, Elliot just added uh, a merchandise shop on our website. So now you can buy uh, some merchandise, t-shirts, coffee mugs, cell phone cases with the logo of your favorite podcast. Uh, check it out. It's pretty awesome. Elliot designed the logo himself. All right.
0: That is our show and we'll catch you guys next time.